On July 17, 2011, three men made their way into a home in western Kabul, the capital of Afghanistan. They said they were students from the southern province of Aruzgan and requested an audience with John Muhammad Khan, the former governor. Bodyguards searched the men and allowed them to enter. They asked John Muhammad Khan for some help purchasing school supplies and were each given about 70 U.S. dollars. It isn't uncommon in Afghanistan to request assistance from powerful tribal elders and community leaders. The men left Khan's house and went to a local bazaar. They returned around 8 p.m. and told private security they wanted to thank John Muhammad Khan for the financial assistance and say goodbye. This time, the men wore suicide vests and carried AK-47s concealed beneath their clothes. This time, they weren't searched. And when they were taken to John Muhammad Khan, they drew their rifles and shot him dead before engaging in a shootout with his bodyguards. Afghan security forces responded to the incident and laid siege to the house. The fight ended after a few hours with the attackers dead or in police custody. But that John Muhammad Khan, or JMK, as he was known to his Western advisors, died a violent death isn't really surprising. You see, JMK's life was one of revenge, one of the main principles of Pashtun Wali, the honor code of the Pashtun people. JMK used his position as a provincial governor to make the Taliban answer for his three-year imprisonment back before the U.S.-led invasion in 2001. But in Afghanistan, violence and revenge are part of a never-ending cycle, and it always has a way of coming back around. I'm Kyle Reynolds. This is Green and White, Stories from Afghanistan. JMK lost an eye fighting with the Mujahideen against the Soviets in the 1980s. And in order to understand politics in Afghanistan today, you have to understand that these Mujahideen, these holy warriors, are still around. They're old now, but they sit in powerful positions in the government and serve as advisors or politicians and leaders in their own right. You have to understand the significance of their fight against the Soviets, and I think in the West, this fight has been somewhat romanticized and most Europeans and uh, Americans have a general idea of what happened. But what most people don't know is what happened between the Soviet withdrawal and the American invasion. These Mujahideen strongmen fought with their militias against one another for control of the country. That interim period of civil war between 1992 and 1996 was absolutely devastating for Afghanistan. But it was during this civil war that JMK was appointed governor of the southern province of Aruzgan by then-President Rabbani. It was also around this time that JMK supposedly saved Hamid Karzai's life in Aruzgan during a tribal dispute. We don't know the specifics, but we do know that JMK was close friends with Hamid's father, Abdullahad Karzai, the leader of the Papalzai tribe in Afghanistan. Thomas Rudig of the Afghan Analyst Network describes JMK as a second father figure to Hamid Karzai and that Hamid's father told his sons to obey JMK in case that he, Abdullah Had, was no longer around. JMK was a Popplezai, and this will play an important part in things to come. So at this point I've thrown around quite a few names, events, and tribal names. John Muhammad Khan of the Popplezai tribe is now the governor of Aruzgan in our story. It's the mid-1990s and civil war is raging in Afghanistan. I mentioned Hamid Karzai. Most Americans who kept up with the news, particularly during the Bush years, know Hamid Karzai was the president of Afghanistan during that time. 
However, during the 1990s, he was just a bureaucrat in a very fragile post-Soviet government. Hamid Karzai's father, Abdullah Had, was a Popolzai tribal leader and close friends with John Muhammad Khan. All three of these individuals are members of the Popolzai tribe. But tribes in Afghanistan are a whole different discussion. It's complicated, and there isn't a concise history or chronicle of all of them, so here's what you need to know for this podcast. Southern Afghanistan is composed largely of Pashtun people. This group, the Pashtuns, is divided into tribes. The first major split you need to know is the Durrani Pashtuns and the Gilzai Pashtuns. Historically, the Durrani Pashtuns ruled the country in its golden age from the mid to late 1700s. The Gilzai Pashtuns ruled the country from 1080 to the mid-1700s when the Durrani tribe took over. These two groups, the Gilzai and the Durrani, further divide dozens upon dozens of times. The Popolzai tribe is one of the major Durrani subtribes. John Muhammad Khan, Hamid Karzai, and Hamid's father, Abdullah Had, belong to this tribe. It's also important to note that tribes generally do not get along and may have years of unwritten animosity toward one another. John Muhammad Khan, a Durrani Popolzai, did not much like Gilzai Pashtuns. When you talk about Afghanistan or when you try to make a podcast detailing interesting stories from the country, there's a tendency to go chasing rabbits. The average person's knowledge of Afghanistan is limited, and I know this podcast may be hard to follow. The Afghan names and tribes all sound very foreign initially, and I have done my best to limit the number of names I included in this first episode. The war has gone on now for 15 years, and at some point in that time, people kind of stopped paying attention. This lack of public attention works well for the companies, the contractors, and the military-industrial complex that operates there. They're able to get away with things the average person would likely find rather appalling, And while this episode focuses on JMK, I think it's important to note basic tribal information and historical context to give you, the listener, an idea of the political landscape that shaped men like JMK. So with all that being said, let's pick this story back up with the rise of the Taliban. The Taliban came to power in 1996 by taking advantage of the violence and instability caused by the fighting warlords and promising order. After the Taliban took over, JMK resigned his position as governor, and not much is known about what he did during this time. However, as a Popolzai and friend to the Karzais, it was only natural that he would make the journey to Quetta, Pakistan for Abdul Ahad Karzai's funeral. Abdul Ahad was living with his family in exile among Afghan refugees in Pakistan and on July 14, 1999, he was gunned down by Taliban assassins. After the funeral, JMK was arrested by the Taliban in Afghanistan and thrown in a jail in Kandahar, and he would sit there until the end of 2001. It goes without saying that JMK's time in a Taliban prison must have been pretty rough, and it was likely he went without food and was probably beaten or tortured. When the U.S. invaded in 2001, and Hamid Karzai became the president after leading forces against the Taliban along with other U.S.-backed Mujahideen, JMK was released and appointed to be provincial governor of Veruzgan again. In Afghanistan, political appointments are made based on a patronage system. It's basically a good old boy system, and qualifications needed to attain a prominent position are pretty much non-existent. 
If you're allied to a powerful individual, you too can have a powerful position in exchange for carrying out your patron's will. This means things like experience, qualifications, education, or even basic literacy don't really matter. JMK, a Popplesai and now governor of Aruzgan in early 2002, had all the power he needed to seek revenge on the Taliban who wronged him, and even some that didn't. According to a Feinstein International Center report, Aruzgan is only 10% Popplesai Pashtun. Historically, the province was home to Gilzai Pashtuns. And in a very broad sense, uh, as we discussed earlier, there's a split between the Durrani tribes, which include uh, the Popplesais and, and then the Gilzai tribe on the other side. Despite being in the minority, JMK used his power as governor to appoint Popplesais to be district governors and district chiefs of police. At that local level, these men would carry out JMK and therefore Hamid Karzai's will to see Popplesais dominate Aruzgan province. The Feinstein report reads, quote, Abuses included use of nepotism, favoritism, and bribery to obtain security and development contracts in government positions, distribution of patronage, for example jobs, contracts, favors, to solidify his position, arbitrary detention to neutralize his rivals and accumulate revenue, flagrant and extensive abuse of official authority and private force, in extortion and the illegal occupation and reselling of land, control and protection of narcotics production and trade, as well as other illegal enterprises, and extraction of revenue through deployment of personal forces at illegal checkposts." JMK was heavily tied to the U.S. Special Forces and Australian Special Forces operating in Aruzgan during his tenure as governor. The fervor that existed to hunt down terrorists during this early part of the global war on terror played right into JMK's hands. When the Taliban surrendered in Kandahar, many laid down their weapons and were allowed to return home without the threat of prosecution. In Afghanistan, once a consensus is reached and a conflict is over, uh, it's very important that the loser should not be humiliated. So the war was over and many of these fighters were ready to go back home and dissolve back into the population. But JMK had scores to settle. He used his connections with international forces to call in tips on supposed Taliban. International forces would respond quickly with night raids on unsuspecting villagers, largely Gilzai Pashtuns. When villages and families were unfairly targeted, they would go to their village or tribal elder. That elder would then go in front of a Popplesai district governor, who would either ignore his complaints or make claims that the elder was also working for the Taliban. So, with no legal way to resolve their disputes with the Popplesai government and a cultural need to defend their honor, well, you can sort of see where this is going. By labeling the Gilzai as Taliban, JMK made them turn to the Taliban, who promised in Afghanistan for all tribes and not just this U.S.-backed Popplesai Durrani minority. So in addition to using international military forces, JMK had a militia of his own. He would use his men to run drugs, occupy land illegally, and attack rivals. JMK's nephew, Mahdi Ullah Khan, ran this Aruzgan Kandahar Highway Battalion. And that was a militia group that took international money to escort uh, these international vehicles between Terrancoat, the capital of Aruzgan, and Kandahar province to the south. So for four years, JMK built his Popplesai network in Aruzgan with the unwitting support of the international community. In 2006, the Dutch took over as the Provincial Reconstruction Team in Aruzgan. 
but they wanted JMK out before they would assume the role. So Karzai, wanting to save face, brought his friend and mentor JMK up to Kabul to be an advisor. Meanwhile, the Pavelzais continued to dominate the province despite JMK's absence. I mentioned Madiola Khan earlier. Madiola Khan, he basically becomes the uh, de facto ruler, rivaling and at times exceeding JMK's power. Of course, JMK was the only Hamid Karzai-backed strongman operating in Afghanistan. Ahmed Wali Karzai, Hamid's brother, had a history of corruption similar to JMK that operated in Kandahar province. In Helmand, the province just west of Ahmed Wali-controlled Kandahar, Sher Muhammad Akhanzada was in charge of a vast opium smuggling operation when he wasn't working his day job as the governor of the province. Helmand, Kandahar, Aruzgan, and Zabal form what's called Loya Kandahar, the Pashtun-dominated southern portion of Afghanistan. Hamid Karzai strategically placed his lieutenants in positions of power in the region, and his patronage network still holds a vast amount of power, even in 2017. On 12 July 2011, Ahmed Wali Karzai was assassinated at his home by his trusted bodyguard of seven years. No one knows how the Taliban were able to infiltrate Ahmed Wali's inner circle, but the Taliban certainly took credit for the assassination. They also took credit for the one five days later, on 17 July, that took JMK's life. An unnamed official told the Long War Journal, the assassination of Ahmed Wali and Khan, quote, may be part of an organized campaign against the Popplesai leadership, end quote. It most certainly was against Popplesai leadership, and really, it was about honor, and the driving force behind so much of the conflict in Afghanistan, revenge. JMK used his position to pursue a vendetta against the Taliban and, in doing so, permanently aligned the Gilzai Pashtuns of Aruzgan with the insurgency. It would make sense to use JMK's story as an example of what not to do and how corrupt leadership leads to marginalized people fighting back, but as we will see, the situation in Aruzgan will only get worse. Thank you so much for listening to the first episode of Green and White. The name Green and White comes from military symbology. Friendly forces are represented with blue and the enemy is always in red. Host country, in this case Afghanistan, forces are green and civilians are considered white. In Afghanistan, as you will see, there's a blurring of lines between military and civilian forces. The second episode is already available for download and focuses on JMK's nephew Madiola Khan and the problem of private militias. I think episode 2 is more exciting and narrative-focused because there's quite a bit more info on Madiola Khan than there is on JMK. If you enjoyed this podcast, consider subscribing to be notified of new releases or follow the podcast on Twitter at Green and White Podcast. I am a full-time student who works full-time, but I will try to put out an episode every couple of weeks. Thanks again, and we will pick this back up in episode 2.